Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today is not our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, James Pearce. He is at home. However, with me is LFC editor Andrew Kelly, Echo scribe Joe Rimmer and the on-loan Daniel Matthews. Hello, boys. Hello. 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 Uh, we'll start then with Chelsea. May as well start from the top. Uh, Andy, you were there on Tuesday night uh, with me at Anfield. First thing to note was a good point, wasn't it? I wouldn't call it a good point. Ah, you wouldn't call it a good point. No, How could it not be a good point against the Premier League leaders at home when you haven't won for, I think, how many games it is? Because Liverpool needed more. And, you know, the hopes of everyone for this season, if there were any hopes remaining in terms of trying to challenge at the top, were relatively dependent on cutting that gap on Tuesday night to seven points and hope that uh, Arsenal could uh, could do more damage to Chelsea on the weekend. Um that didn't happen. Um, it was a good point in the sense that Liverpool um, put in a decent performance, um, much better than recently, which I think we all expected. I think I think that type of game we knew Anfield would be up for it. We knew the team would be up for it. We knew the manager would be up for it. And um, you know, if there was one of the two sides who shaded it, I'd say it was Liverpool, as you should do on your home ground. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable game of football. Really intense. It also um, helped that it wasn't absolutely freezing as well. It, it was it was a great night to play football. It had that bit of drizzle, which makes the ball skip on. There wasn't a hell of a lot of quality, to be honest, in terms of passing movements on the pitch. But that, I think that was um, predicated by the nature of the match and the, the way Chelsea set up. I mean, this back three they talk about, it is really back five. Very early on, you saw those back five go into place and they're very hard to shift. Wasn't that Liverpool's job, though? That's what they did. They pushed the full-backs back. Because you saw in the second half when Moses had a chance to run at Milner. He got past him a few times, didn't he? Yeah, and you know that they what they do do, Chelsea, is when they have the opportunity to get forward, they do it relatively quickly. Um, I mean, in terms of attacking movements, you can't think of very many uh, that, that they brought to the table. But again, a lot of Liverpool's passing was in front of Chelsea and actually being able to get in behind them is difficult. They're really well-drilled sides, if you had to guess, if you just saw them as dots on the pitch with no shirts on, and the way they moved and as, and the way the line was, Aspilicueta was the organiser of the line, um, and somebody said to you, what nationality manages that team? You'd 90% of people would guess that's an Italian uh, who's, uh, who manages that team, and they, they'd be right, and Conte is doing a great job, and uh, you know, I have to say he's a very likeable chap, uh, in the press conference afterwards, he was uh, thoroughly engaging, and uh, it's not often you know we get that with Chelsea managers. Yeah, I must, say. I must admit, I do quite like Conte myself. Uh, Joe, uh, Andy was on ratings duty at the mm-hmm. game on Tuesday, and he gave Simon Mignolet an eight, and this caused slight consternation amongst some Liverpool fans because of what happened with the first goal. Now, I'm of the opinion that even if he'd been ready for it, I don't think he'd have saved it anyway. No. I mean, what do you think he's been slightly harshly? treated there yeah because if you say the penalty in any game I think you go up a notch don't you in your marks but yeah first of all he was never saving that whether he was looking or not it didn't help things he, he it was quite it was a bit of a boob wasn't it he was looking the other direction and he he doesn't help himself I think at times Mignolet with his reputation among fans with with his I suppose his demeanour on the pitch sometimes and, and that that wasn't good but I think overall I think he played quite well I don't think um he had a great deal other than the penalty to do other than that, um, but the penalty save was good. He's he's massively improved this season. Um, he's keeping Carrius out, and I think he deserves to be. Um, and 
I wouldn't have too many arguments with Nate. I think an eight's fair. I think. I wasn't. I wasn't clear in it. I would like no, to point no, out. No, look, I, I, I can absolutely understand why. And you know, I had this debate with several people in the press room afterwards, uh, and with a few fans on Twitter. Completely understand um, people who'd suggest that you know it's too high. Um, Joe's pretty much outlined my feelings, which was that bar Mignolet, we lose the game. Um, where I would say potentially. Well, I don't think he had any chance of saving the Louis shot. I wonder whether if he'd been in place looking at the ball and looking like a more solid object, whether Luis would even yeah, have fired the yeah. shot. So um, you could blame him for that, I guess. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a massive argument with someone who felt, felt that um, you know, an eight was too high. But in my view, uh, you know, if you save a penalty and, and, and earn a point for your team, it's difficult not to give you a decent it, it wasn't an error like dropping the ball in the middle of a penal, crowded penalty area was it it was it was it looked dozy more than anything i don't think it was a massive massive game changing error the, the worst the worst uh, blame has to go to the players who didn't stop the free kick getting taken quickly yeah, at yeah. that point now i knew he'd blown the whistle or, or to lalana or to lalana for giving away the free kick in the first place yeah uh, i mean was stupid, hazard was clever running across him and he sort of ran him over didn't he in a, in a way it was a free um, but the uh, <laughs> is that what it's called now? The, the you know the people those out players um, who were either in the wall or standing nearby, and it was noticeable. The next one, Coutinho went and stood on it um, to make sure that they couldn't do it, and that's what. And one other point I just want to make quickly: is this is something that's been endemic in Liverpool teams ac- across across the age groups this season. I've seen the under-23s get caught out by it twice. And if anyone wants to look at the archive, there's quotes from uh, Michael Beale uh, post-match of me about getting caught out by a quick free kick. The under-18s got caught out by a quick free kick, I think against Hull at Kirby, and cost them a goal. And uh, str- right through the age groups, Liverpool, who used to be the kings of the quick free kick, let's remember, back in the day, and you and my day, Ian, uh, we can remember Your that. Your day, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the... They're not switched on enough, and uh, there needs to be, you know, that really needs to be looked at across the age groups. Dan, you're renowned for being a very, very nice man. However, do you <laughs> feel as though Liverpool as a team are perhaps a little bit too nice? Do they need a bit more devilment in the play? Because that's the point I thought Andy was going to go on to is the fact that Liverpool just seem a little. They have, I mean, Klopp spoke after the game, and he was talking about how uh, Chelsea have coolness and they also have I think he mentioned experience didn't he and cleverness. Like, cleverness you know he kind of knew what he was getting at do, do you agree with that do you think you know maybe there's Lucas in the team and that's it that does the kind of you know sneaky fouls that need to be done sometimes and standing in front of free kicks yeah I have got the impression over the last few years that one thing lacking from Liverpool is they, don't, they have very few winners in their team people have actually won major competitions if you go through their side perhaps well I can't think of a single player who's really won a major tournament, perhaps Emery Chan World Cup in the World Cup, but he's a bit part player in that Germany team. And and I think that is something that you can't really teach to people and that only comes with experience. And obviously it's cost Liverpool in the past in in, in previous seasons their game management. It cost probably Brendan Rodgers as well in that two thousand and fourteen season. He hadn't won any major trophies. And I think that's something perhaps you can't teach and you, you don't perhaps notice until it till it becomes an issue. And I think yeah, Liverpool perhaps they don't have that Javier Mascherano or that Jordan Henderson's not shy, certainly not shy of putting his foot in or or standing up to to opposition players as we saw to Costa in that famous kind of incident a couple of years ago. But but I think there is probably a lack of yeah of game management and also kind of 
kind of cunning in Liverpool's side. They've got a lot, lot of good footballers, but probably could be a bit cuter, as kind of shown by that Lallana free kick, probably in the lead up to the goal. Hazard kind of he knew what he wanted to do, but Lallana probably didn't see it as, mm-hmm. as perhaps we wanted him to. Andy, Joe, do we agree with that? Yeah, I don't. I don't think even Emery Chan was in that Germany World Cup winning squad by then, was he? I must probably? admit, I, I don't I, think he was. I don't think he, I think he was still coming through the, the 21s, but. Um, but Dan's point's absolutely spot on. There, we do have that sort of lack of winning experience. And uh, how do you um, win them? Yeah. How can you? You have, you have to, have to, to win. The you hardest have to win thing is to get. You have to They've get got, over that first hurdle. Don't they know how to lose because yeah. yeah. they lost two yeah. finals, and there's a lot. We, a lot of those players also. Sorry, Andy, we, also played we, in the, the 2014 season where they yeah. didn't win the league. But we saw this without wishing to draw too many parallels with down the road. We saw this big style with Manchester United, didn't we, when they were in their horrendous length of period of not winning the title 25 years or whatever it was and they just they couldn't get over the line a couple of years that famous game at West Ham where they you know they could have won by about five four cleared in my mind uh, it's probably wrong but I seem to recall about three off the line two last ditch blocks everything just wouldn't go in for them they couldn't get the job done and um, and this this team feels a little bit like that they haven't you know, perhaps come quite that close to to a title yet, certainly. But um, they do have struggled to get over the line. They were they were a penalty shootout away last season against Manchester City, and generally were really good at penalty shootouts. Um, and Klopp's got a little bit of a you know he's lost his last five finals. That's not whatever he says about it. And maybe two or three of those were games you'd ex- would have expected to 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 lose when you're taking on Bayern Munich to a certain extent, but. Um, he's also had, you know, he's had Sevilla to take on in a in a in a European final. Generally, you'd say Liverpool. For all Sevilla were going for a hat trick, Liverpool would have a higher European pedigree than Sevilla. But for albeit they were a very good team, um, and he also in his that you know his last Dortmund final was against Wolfsburg. And you'd say Dortmund would have gone into that final as favourites, I'm sure. So, um, so there's a little bit of question mark over Klopp, which I'm, you know. If, if and when Liverpool get to a final again, I'm sure he'd be absolutely exasperated by the question. Um, but let's Are you going to ask we, it? Uh, I'll gladly ask it. Um, I've asked worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there is there is this issue of, of getting a team of, not snarlers, but just who get the job done and know how to get it done. And, um, you know, Chelsea, there were certain elements of, how, you know, Costa took forever to come off the pitch the other night. Um, Chelsea were happy with what they had at that stage, and the just doing those little prof, professional things. Now, a lot of people don't want Liverpool doing that, to be honest. Uh, the, but this, um, um, and, and can I just interrupt you? Yeah. There? This is really, really annoys me about Liverpool now because me and you, as you mentioned before, are quite old, and we've seen them win the league. And you look at those teams they had, like McMahon, Sooners, you know, even players like Rush, Dalglish could be, you know, go around kick people. Lawrence, and you know, for all for all the talk about these were cultured footballers, they knew how to mix it. Ronnie Whelan, as well, yeah. players like that, the keeper, Grobler, all of these players had it in them. They were like hard men, yeah. without going around booting players and getting sent off all the time. And they weren't they weren't beating teams three nil. Yeah, it was like fantastic. Yeah, they were, they were scrapping football. out nil nils away from home and winning. You know, they'd have countless games where they'd be up against packed defences and then they'd seem to recall they played Leicester every time they played Leicester Leicester would put everybody behind the ball and then they'd kind of sneak a draw or get a 1-0 or something like yeah. that but because they haven't won the league for so long and there's a lot of fans now who've never seen them do it they seem to think that Liverpool won it by playing all this amazing football and this that and the other yeah there were some years away teams like that but, but a lot kind of, of years there's not. this kind of considered 
oh, this is the Liverpool way, this is the way we want to do it. And it's like, kind of like an added pressure to whoever is the manager, whoever the players are, because all the fans seem to think that, ah, oh, this is how you win the league. It's like, well, they don't know that because a lot of them have never seen them win it. Yeah, I mean, and to a certain extent, their, their sort of sounding board on this is, is watching other teams that have won the league. Um, well, and out. some of those, yeah, some of those have been, you look at... You know, Who won the league last year? Leicester. Leicester yeah. They did it the way that... Yeah, they didn't do it by playing brilliant football. They did it by playing clever football. Chelsea and won a brilliant it, striker. Yeah, and Chelsea won it the year before. Yeah, you know, but you've also had these, you know, you've had these Arsenal teams that uh, had a solid base. We know, you know, the Vieira, and, oh. but but also had 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 the likes of you know Thierry Henry, etc., playing some pretty stunning football. But but that's one of the arguments. Sorry, go on. The, so the key, to, I think, what we're saying is you can win the league a lot of different ways. And maybe there seems to be in some fans' mind that there's a certain way you've got to win it. I think I think when you if you want a winning mentality, you've got to buy players who've been there and done it. And I think Liverpool haven't in recent years. Look who Chelsea brought off the bench the other night. They bring Cesc Fabregas off the bench, and and is a guy who's been around the block. He's done it before. He's played in the Premier League. He's he's won won leagues in Spain, and I, and I think that's the massive difference. And I think fans get frustrated in the summer when Liverpool buy potential because they want Liverpool to be shopping in the top end of the market. Even Chelsea this year, they bought Kante. He's fresh off winning the Premier League. He knows what it's all about. Don't get me started on Kante. <laughs> We've been down that road in this pod. You know, and I think you know a big frustration in missing out on the likes of Alexis Sanchez is because he came ready-made. He'd won leagues. He knew what it takes to compete at the highest level. Someone like Coutinho, who was coming off six months at Milan, he wasn't wasn't someone that had been around the block, and we've had to wait for him to blossom into the player that he is now. And I think Liverpool need in the summer, if they want to kick on and win leagues, to buy one or two guys that know what it's about. But even, it, you don't necessarily have to sh- fish out £30 million on players like Alexis Sanchez. I know perhaps on the field it didn't work out, but even when Benitez brought in someone like Morientes in 2005, mm-hmm. like he, he's a proven winner, and just having those kind of people around the dressing room, even though Spot perhaps up. he didn't have the effect that perhaps Liverpool fans were hoping for in terms of goals, but... You know, those are the type of players that Liverpool probably are lacking at the moment. Just players who've been there and done it and know what it's like. And and well, I don't think you can underestimate their importance. They're not easy. There is one. There's James Milner's one, by the yeah, way. Yeah, okay. and he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's somebody and he's, well, funnily enough, look at that, he's vice-captain and he's been one of Liverpool's probably best players this season. Playing yeah. that completely yeah. out of position as well. Absolutely. Um, those type of players, though, it's they have to be in particular situations to for you to be able to get them to a certain extent because... By their very definition of being winners, they're generally slightly older players, um, and if they're going to be available, they have to be in a certain situation at the current club, which generally means not first choice, and not and not playing. And so Milner was in a, that particular situation that he wasn't playing where he wanted to play, and sort of ironically, he's he's, he's moved even further away from where he wants to play. But is is that? From what I can understand, you know, pretty happy with his his lot because he he's he's enjoying a, a very good season at Liverpool. So, um, those players are limited. You're you're picking from a limited crew, but maybe uh, Klopp's knowledge of other markets in terms of you know we've been seen with our managers before they you know Benitez into the Spanish market and we've already seen Klopp into the German market. It may be that there's you know I don't know some former. Dortmund or, or, or Munich players, perhaps, or slightly unsettled ones that uh, that you might be able to to find to bolster his his squad because um, it is difficult for a, a young team 
mostly full of players who haven't really won very much to get over that first hurdle. That's like Dylan. Joe. Sorry, yeah. Joe mentioned before about the substitutions, which I was going to mention about Chelsea. The other person they bought was Pedro. He's yeah. won, well, he's go, won, yeah. he scored in the Champions League final mm. for, for for Barcelona, and he's somebody who he was in that situation. He wasn't playing for Barcelona, was he? He exactly. wasn't getting his regular game. Don't, don't get me wrong, Chelsea. And he's not getting one at Chelsea. They're shopping in a better market in terms of they can afford to pay the wages to have someone like Pedro and, and Sash Fabregas on the bench, can't they? Yeah, this frustrates fans, though. So well, does this come down to money? Liverpool not yeah, afford it. This come down to money, then. If Klopp says, but, but Klopp Chelsea... says the money's available, but it, it's clear that when he talks about money available, he's talking about a certain level of money being yeah, available. Yeah, it's, it's still a different market. Whether fans like it or not, Chelsea are at a higher level. You know, it's the winner's market, isn't it? It is That's the winner's it. market nowadays, well, and they're, they're spending billions and billions. Liverpool are probably just a level below that, and it is frustrating, but I don't think it's, it's for because the club's being run badly. It's just because they're not... They haven't got a sugar daddy like Roman Abramovich, like the like Sheep Manchur, to, to, to spend money on players. And they're like playing... That. Far this season, they've played regular Champions League football for the yeah, last seven or eight yeah, years. Yeah. Well, that's well, I forget how little Liverpool have played at the Champions League. Yeah. Well, I think it's once yeah. in seven yeah. years, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that's why they need to get in it and stay in it this season. They need to take advantage if they get in it this season. This is probably why Klopp's mantra is, you know, Liverpool will do things a different way, because... He doesn't seem frustrated by the limitations upon him. Perhaps, you know, if you're being cynical, you might suggest that, uh, and this would probably be the the Mourinho argument that, you know, when he went out to spend whatever he did on Pogba, 90 million or whatever, um, that he did it because he can. Um, And, for instance, Klopp, I think what's the maximum of his biggest outlay was Mane, was it? 30, 34, whatever it will eventually become. And, you know, is is not spending those huge sums of money, does that take a certain bit of pressure off you? Uh, in that, uh, um, you know, Pogba and Mourinho and Manchester United certainly sent on to quite a bit of pressure for that deal to work out in the end. Um, so, you know, you pay your money, you, t- you, take, you take your chance, I guess. And Klopp seems genuinely not frustrated by what's available to him and feels he can he can get to where he wants Liverpool to go without it. Which leads us on nicely then to obviously since the last pod the transfer window has shut and surprise surprise Liverpool didn't bring in anybody. Slam shut. Slam shut sorry yeah. It was never forced shut is it? No, it's always no. like just goes it's never its gently closed. Yeah, yeah. Anyway um, start with you Dan do you think that was a mistake by Liverpool not to spend big to build on momentum because before the Month was even out. We saw the problem of Liverpool, which is the fact that they don't have the squad that the others have got. <clears throat> I think, kind of similar to what we were saying earlier about getting in winners, it's it's kind of very easy to say, oh yes, we should have bought it, should have bought a defender, centre mid, and a, a striker. But you've got to find the right players, and they've got to be available for the right price. And Klopp's kind of made it clear that he didn't want to just spend for the sake of spending, and he was only bringing people in that he was he was confident. In, that would make a difference, and I think most Liverpool fans would look look back on that as a mistake, and perhaps rightly given the form that we we showed in that in that period. But it's all very well and very very well to say that afterwards. But before the transfer window opened, Liverpool were in a strong position, and yes, we were losing Mane. But it's just it ultimately just boils down to who are you going to bring in, and if there was no one available that that Klopp felt was going to make a difference, then it's kind of bit redundant just buying people for the sake of it. Andy, could they have pushed the boat out and spent a bit bigger to try and get somebody from another team? 
Because I think, we're all, be, I think we're all in agreement because we all said before that they needed to do something yeah. in January. They, un, they undoubtedly could have done. Um, the, the question really is were they right not to? And um, overall, in terms of the long term, I think they probably were right not to. It, rather than the advantage of bringing someone else is it in that it brings an instant boost to the, just to the squad, new face, um, new possibilities, a new presumably brought in an attacking player, a new threat that defences hadn't seen before in terms of how he played in a Liverpool team, and that and that's that, that's really useful because you're seeing someone like, for instance. Uh, Jimmy Vardy this season. People have, people have, got on to how he plays more, and you know they're not leaving a huge amount of space behind them for him to run into. And so defenses adapt, coaches adapt. So a new threat that people aren't quite used to seeing would have been really useful. But you can't move away from Dan's point that if they haven't got the player they want or feel can help them, what do you do? Spending money for the sake of spending money probably the root of madness and for me if he has uh, a collection of players he believes that if he keeps his powder dry he can get in the summer then um, you've just got to go with that Joe you could also make the point that the top six none of them bought anybody no, no the January time Man City did but well, albeit well, that he was he was already on his way yeah, yeah, but, him in but he's he, he, he's an argument for bringing somebody in because look at the impact he's yeah, had straight yeah. away well, here's a player that Liverpool were linked with him, Klopp liked him. Julian Draxler has gone to PSG. And um, we, now we don't know what went on there, whether he asked for far too much money. But it's a, he's gone and scored four goals in five games. He's made a big impact there. And you do wonder whether if Liverpool had pushed the boat out and given him what he wanted, which is, is a difficult thing to say when you don't know how much he wanted. But could he have made a huge impact like he has done over there? Could he, make, could he have made the difference? Sometimes maybe you do have to pay the money. It's it's difficult, but I think it does speak volumes that not many clubs have done business. January is becoming increasingly difficult to do business in, and and that shows because no one can spend money. I think also that the issue of the lack of signings was compounded that by the fact that Liverpool's probably two best players, arguably two of their best players this season, Joel Matip and Philippe Coutinho, got injured mm. and then were ineligible for a lot of that January period, and then also. The strikers, Divock Origi just completely lost his form that he showed towards the end of 2016. Daniel Sturridge is in a complete rut. So if those players were fit and available and, and the strikers were, were scoring goals, I don't think Liverpool fans would have been kind of baying for signings as much as they were. But it was a kind of collection of things which all compounded to, to create a, a situation which perhaps was far worse and greater than the sum of each part. It's, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. I agree with Dan, but how much is the loss of form of Sturridge and are he potentially down to an absence of wide pace outside yeah, who's helping yeah. to create mm, space yeah. for them. So there is a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario there in terms of their loss of form. And could Liverpool have mitigated that by you know, having somebody... Uh, the key thing on Mane, for instance, I think, is that they probably didn't realise what an impact and how important yeah, he would yeah. become. Because everyone says, oh, they had four or five months to prepare, the, the, prepare for it. But they probably didn't realise they were preparing for the loss of their top scorer at the time and pretty high up on assists, I think, as well. I haven't got those stats to hand. But uh, they probably thought they were pre- preparing for the loss of one of several <laughs> important attackers, but, but but not really someone who'd sort of become the man, even though he wasn't but playing that brilliantly. He growing. wasn't playing that brilliantly, but when we spoke about this quite a few times in the pod, it's that because he can just run fast in a straight line, 
the, and if the, he the gets defenders, a chance, he puts the def- it away. Yeah, and the defenders just get scared. I mean, you only had to see um, whether you saw the highlights of Man City against West Ham. I mean, who did they have up front? They had Jesus, or yeah, Jesus as he's, as he's known Sané. in England. Yeah. Uh, Sané and Sterling were up front. They were just running off a like, million miles yeah, an hour. West Ham couldn't cope with them. That's pure pace. That's pace it. absolutely kills you. And it's, I mean, I think we all know that it's absolutely crucial uh, in this league. And because without Mane, Liverpool at times look like the slowest team in the Premier League. Pedestrian, don't they, at times? And um, yeah, so that's. I mean, that's why we've spoken the pod the last few weeks about that need for wide pace in particular. And that's the frustration with Origi is that he's got pace, but he doesn't seem to quite know how to use it in a dynamic way. He's the slowest fast player you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does at times look. Look what's going on there? Liverpool seems to have forwards who come and pick the ball up very deep when you know they don't seem to be playing on the last shoulder of a defender. Whether that's something in the way that Liverpool play and they just don't utilise pace like that. Final thing on the transfer window. Sorry, Dan. Final thing is Mamadou Sacco, Joe. We'll, I like because I know you're a big fan of Sacco, the person, perhaps not, yeah, the, I mean, perhaps not the player, but he's now he's gone at least yeah, for a bit. Yeah. But uh, you know, is that it for him? I thought Klopp's comments yesterday in his press conference, you know, were, were, were a little bit odd because it, it thought, we thought it was all the end for Sacco, and then he, he said some things that maybe could be interpreted as it not being the end, but maybe he was just being nice in public for Sacco because um, you would think now it's the end. Look, you know, I, I did like Sacco. I think he's obviously got his flaws. You know, you know, per, perhaps. He didn't follow club rules quite as closely as he should have, but I think off the pitch maybe he's done, he's done some great things You know, for charities. He's clearly a big-hearted fellow who does a, a lot of really good things off the pitch. On the pitch, I thought he was very good for a long spell last season. Um, I hope for him that he, he gets things sorted at Crystal Palace, gets playing again, gets back in the front set-up and gets his career back on track. If it's not with Liverpool, then so be it, but good luck to him. Andy, there's been one departure, although it's one imminent departure that's been announced today or brought forward because we knew he was going anyway. But Ian Eyre will be leaving his post at the end of the month. I mean, you've you've obviously had a fair few dealings with him over the over the time you've been in this job. I mean, will he be missed by Liverpool? What's he achieved? I mean, because I know he's 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 an easy target in some ways for the fans, but certainly yeah. the, the commercial side of the club has improved in the ten years that he's been there, hasn't it? I think that's undeniable. Look, it's not the it's not the position of CEOs um, generally to be popular, is it? They generally do do or don't do things that fans um, are ultimately frustrated by, and Ian Eyre has certainly done that. I think what can't be denied is that what Ian Eyre said himself today in leaving is that he leaves the club in a lot better shape than he found it when he came in in 97 as the commercial uh, director. Uh, I think that's undeniable. Liverpool for years didn't capitalise on, on the huge global following the club has had and the huge success the club has had. Um, you know, we all know the infamous stories about that. Um, but he has helped turn that around. Now, to what extent Liverpool are where they need to go or whether they, uh, I would argue, they need to take another step forward. You know, we've seen, for instance, Liverpool sign uh, at the time uh, a standard chartered shirt deal, uh, which Ian Eyre signed, which was... You know, was sort of leading, leading football clubs in terms of its value to Liverpool at the time. But we've seen clubs like United, for instance, their Chevrolet deal, which was, I think, so incredibly good for them that someone at Chevrolet got sacked. It was so good for United, that deal. Um, and other football clubs have sort of gone past Liverpool in that. I think there is a need to move to sort of 
stage two, if you like, and maybe that meant it was the right time um, for Ian Eyre to move on. But, um, you know, the commercial development he's brought, he was absolutely crucial in terms of the club um, getting rid of the biggest threat to the club in living memory in terms of Hicks and Gillette. And whatever anyone says about Ian Eyre, he was there and was part of the that sort of master plan, which was fired by fan power, if you like, but enabled to get Hicks and Gillette out of the club. Absolutely crucial. If he did nothing else in the club, I would say he has to go down uh, with a lot of positives for that. And I think his legacy, for me, will be the main stand. Um, I When they finished it. When they finished it. Well, I think <laughs> please, fill in, please fill in the gaps. Dressing rooms <laughs> and press areas, the only bit, and who worries about the press? And, and rightly so. Um, so, you know, I think it's a, been a fantastic addition to Anfield. It's completely changed the whole experience of going to the match for me. Um, I think it has for many fans. When that, you know, stand is used at its very best. I, I know a lot of it's corporate, but I think we live in a world where we've just got to be growing up about that now. Uh, as long as there's a significant balance for your ordinary supporter as well. And I really hope what happens is that the outline plan permission, which Ian Eyre has also secured for the Anfield Road, is pushed ahead and we go for detailed planning on that and another 4,500 people in. The more people we have in watching Liverpool Football Club play football, or, you know, for the better. And we, we know our competitors are uh, Spurs, Chelsea, all moving forward with new stadiums or improved stadiums. And um, um, I know you don't like the new Spurs designs, Ian, but... Um, you know, those will be game changers for them in revenue terms and Liverpool need to keep moving forward but I think overall we know he made a mess of you know, ticketing problems at times we saw the protests over the uh, cost of the new main stand tickets um, he's missed out on a few big signings um, but he also brought a few in I think he, he mentioned himself the team against Chelsea uh, on Tuesday night he signed every one of those players apart from Henderson and he, he negotiated Henderson's new deal. So, um, you know, for, what, for whatever you say about some of the players he's missed out, that wasn't a bad 11 that took to the pitch the other day. And um, uh, fans won't, I'm sure, give him too much credit because, you know, he's been well paid and uh, executives aren't the sort of people that fans tend to, um, you know, have a, have a great affinity with. But I think Ian Eyre genuinely had Liverpool Football Club's best interests at heart, every time, every day he went into work in Chapel Street around the corner. Right, we'll look ahead then to the game on, on Saturday, visit to Hull, where Liverpool don't have a particularly brilliant recent record. I think they lost the last game there 1 0. Remember them losing 3 1 there in the, the, the title challenging season of 2013 14. And then there was the, uh, they got, even got a beaten a friendly there in 2011, I think, 3 0. So uh, it's not great, but it's the first time probably that we'll see Lalana, Firmino, Coutinho, and Mane start a game at the same time I mean Joe are you looking forward to that I mean who do you think is going to be the one that's going to miss out in midfield yeah. sorry for putting that on you yeah it's a difficult one isn't it yeah I would not that sorry to be honest because Chan played quite well the other night and he's what the one that I would have thought would have been vulnerable um, yeah I think we can't have blank space yeah no no, no we can't have blank space no, sorry I was thinking I think Firmino will play Firmino will play up front Mane on the right um, Lalana will be further back Cousino on the left um, and I think Wijnaldum will stay in alongside him. Jibin Chan? Yeah, I'm Jibin Chan, yeah, I think he, he's got to go. <laughs> Dan, yeah. Dan, I know what you're going to say here, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Are you Jibin Chan as well? 
I think you got to yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not as big a Chan hater as perhaps some of the other people, uh, some other fans. But I feel like when thanks you, for qualifying that statement, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel like um, well, obviously, Wan Aldum had one of his better games against Chelsea, scored an important goal, and I just feel he when he's he had a bit of a rough patch perhaps towards the end of 2016 where he looked a bit tired. But I feel like he adds a bit more dynamism to that Liverpool midfield when you've got Henderson sitting. I think Chan's probably best. In that sitting position, I think him, Chan, uh, him, Henderson, and Wijnaldum have looked a bit slow and laborious at times. And I think if one of them's got to drop out, it's probably got to be him. Um, funnily enough, we have had uh, someone, on, a fan on Twitter, ask us to discuss why is ha- is Chan still, still why is he still playing? Why is he still playing? Because yeah. <laughs> he's he's been such poor form. And I thought he did all right. He, uh, Chelsea all right, was, was one of his best games for a while, but it's I think Jan Mulby said in his echo column today it was always going to be a game that suited him. You know, more of a game for a, a battler, if you like, and a real. And I thought he put himself across the pitch really well. Um, but then when Aldum gets into the box late and gets the header, um, by the way, nobody's mentioned it, but for me, the uh, Chelsea keeper should be getting a little bit closer to that than he did. It was right, wasn't? It? But when Aldum slightly made. Reference to it, didn't he? Have with his post-match comments where he said, "Oh, luckily for me, went underneath the keeper." Yeah, it was no, almost as if to say, "No, to be fair, I, I thought it was very close to him, wasn't he? I'm heading the ball at you, that, and he was heading it down, wasn't he? You know, could have gone quite fast. All I'll say is, if yeah, Mignolet yeah. lets it in, that he would have got some stick for it. I, I, I thought it was close enough where you can. I, in fact, I think Mignolet would have saved it. Well, Cole, I don't think Courtois was brilliant in the game. Yeah, that flappy moment in the first half as well, didn't he? With the corner came. Yeah, but there's no talk of it, and it's because. It's because of your reputation, isn't it? You know, you're allowed a couple worth. Mignolet, because he's made errors in the past, really, people want to see him being relatively perfect going forward. But uh, that's another debate. But yeah, Chan, um, I can see him being left out at Hull. Um, it's it's unlikely to be the, t- the same type of game um, for all that Hull perhaps will be emboldened by the um, point from Old Trafford. Um so it's likely to be a game Liverpool will have the ball a lot and it's likely to be dependent on being able to shift their defence around, move it fast and create um, you know, a yard or two of space somewhere. That isn't really Emre Chan's game. And so unless there's any problems with Henderson or anything like that, you would imagine that um, he'll be, Henderson will provide the protection and Chan will drop to the bench. Do we feel then, Joe, that perhaps Emre Chan's become a, a horses for courses kind of player? Perhaps so, yeah. I mean, I, I think the key in those is why now the moves the ball a bit quicker I always think with Chan he takes too many touches and, and it's, it does slow things down but he is a physical presence he, he is a battler so yeah yeah possibly um, I just think that when Liverpool were at their best area in the season when Adam was in midfield Lallana was a touch further back and, it, and things flowed better through midfield and they got the ball forward quicker I think Chan slows all that down and perhaps um, if you're defending a lead or perhaps you know if, if you fight fighting against a more physical team, challenging man, but otherwise... It's going to be a massively instructive game, isn't it? Because we've all been wondering what's wrong with Liverpool and every possible theory we've had on Matip's out, oh, Mm. no Mane, oh, the Lana's had to play up front, we've missed him in midfield. All those excuses, pretty much, apart from the fact maybe Coutinho isn't... Well, Matip isn't either. He was not against Chelsea. You know, they're another game forward, aren't they, from over there? So they're getting much closer to um, to to full fitness. And to be honest, I thought Matip's problems against Chelsea weren't weren't really fitness related. They were, you know, more down to just you know. I thought you were going to say love related. No, I wasn't. His passing was erratic, wasn't it? He was just 
just don't think it, it was more. He was absolutely Costa did his head in, didn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was there shouting at Costa on the ground, going, "What well, are you doing?" He done all right against it was Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that's yeah. the we weird thing about him because yeah. he said yeah. it wouldn't let, yeah. it wouldn't let him. But, he, but it, it was annoying him. You know, he, mentally it got to him, hadn't it? I think that was more of the problem it's, the other night. It's a bit like having a conversation with me then. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, but what I'm saying is, all, most of these theories that we put forward for why Liverpool have dropped off um, will be put to the test at Hull. If we select, he selects a team, we expect everything roughly, apart from maybe Matip and Coutinho not being 100%, but they're, they're closing in on it, um, are there. So we need to see Liverpool go. And if, if they can't produce the sort of performance we, 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 we expect from them, um, it'll be interesting where we go next in terms of what, what's happening. Because well, uh, the only one that's left then is that the team is sort of shot in terms of they've, they've, they've run themselves into the ground. I thought you were going to say different. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just with one vowel different there. Uh, so final thing then, is Hull a must-win? Oh, Bear in mind, Hull have done a lot better since Marco, Marco Silva's yeah, taken over. But I would probably say it is, yeah, because that, that pack is so tight now, isn't it? The, the, the pack of three, three or four behind Chelsea and someone needs to take a step forward and try and separate themselves and, and if Liverpool want to do it yeah I think it is a must win Dan must win yeah I think so for, for one simple reason that Liverpool not had, the, the point against Chelsea was a good point but Liverpool have always under Klopp done well against the good sides and it's, I think Jonesy wrote a piece kind of saying this earlier in the week that Liverpool have struggled against the smaller sides or at least dropped more points against the smaller sides under Klopp and I think psychologically if they can come away with the three points I think it would be massive Andy, must win, yes or no? Uh, yes, because and not because of a title challenge, but because of that top four and yeah. how um, we saw City starting to move through the gears. They're going to be a big threat. And uh, to be honest, we, we haven't discussed it, but there's an interesting element of who should Liverpool be supporting in Arsenal-Chelsea. Um, it draws the obvious thing that you'd ideally hope for. Supporting Chelsea, sure. Um, but, well, there'll still be fans out there thinking, you know, Chelsea lose that, you're... You're within seven. Or um, Chelsea win. There's a massive bust up on the field, and then they get deducted three points. And yeah. Costa's banned for the season. Well, they all get just. I mean, Arsenal <laughs> off the top four. Arsenal looked like the side that potentially could could drop. But if, it's coming up if, to February. If, it is February, sorry. So if, it's, 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 it's Arsenal's normal. Oh, right, the season's right. gone completely wrong yeah. again. If City are going to come with a run, and we hope Liverpool can try and stay in there, the side that you'd hope Liverpool can stay in there at the expense of, I think, at this stage, would be Arsenal look well, at least be weaker one than Spurs. Arsenal, Spurs and, solid and, Arsenal and another. They're the yeah. one one week, didn't they, Spurs? Didn't Arsenal hey, and United. Well, are you discounting United? I'm sort of... I'm, hang not, on, I'm you, not, are, you are discounting Manchester United. I'm not Have discounting you them, football for the but past I'm working years? on the basis that they're further back. They're still five points back, aren't they? So, yeah, I, I, I think Spurs. Well. They had a wobble the other day, and I think they lack a little bit of experience. And they they finished third in a two-horse race last year, didn't they? So but Ian's famous know. phrase on Spurs. Is at the, the very last moment they will remember that they are Spurs. Yeah, basically. I think on that note we'll end it. Join us next week where we will look back at the whole game and look ahead to the next game, which for some reason I've forgotten what it is. It's Tottenham, isn't it? It's Tottenham. No, it's, it's, it's Spurs. Tottenham. Yeah. It's Spurs. Yeah, it is Spurs. Yeah, yeah. We can talk a bit more about Spurs as well. All right. Cheerio.